0: Well, good morning to all of you. It is so good to be with you, and we appreciate all of you are visiting. We've got a number of uh, families and individuals here you know, from the area and perhaps traveling, and we're so grateful to have you, and we encourage you to come back and be with us again. Lord willing, and we will meet this evening again for another hour of worship at 6 p.m. If you're in the area, we invite you to come join us at that time as well. We live in a world that is darkened and polluted with sin. All around us, the majority of the human race pursue the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride. You think about just the history of mankind, selfish arrogance if you go back and your study, you study know, nations and, and powers and individuals, we, we see, as you see, selfish arrogance is really a controlling factor of societies. It is an underlying motivation of so many, if not the majority, of man. Wickedness and evil are present and growing, for that matter. Though it may be humbling, but the truth is there is not a single accountable person in this room right now that has not been ensnared or entangled with his or her temptations and sins. God knows. God does not lie. And so, when Paul, by the Spirit, says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that is true. That is true about the world in general, but that is true about every accountable person in this room. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of this universal, universal commonality of sin, God's love, God's love for those he created in his own image, that's you and me, God's love for us is such that he planned and provided redemption, redemption from the enslavement of our own sins. All men and all women are sinners. All need the truth of God. All need saving. All need the one who is Lord and Christ. There's no question, in our minds at least, there's no question that God loves you and God loves me. God has been for quite some time long-suffering with all of us, has he not? And God desires for all to come to repentance. This commonality of sin and this amazing grace of God does not lessen, though, the gravity, the seriousness of sins, and the sobering truth of the wages of those sins. It is the same apostle by the Holy Spirit then writes in the sixth chapter of the Roman letter and says, the wage of sin is death. The world in which we live in, the world in which we are part of because we are created beings who live on earth for a while, the world in which we're part of minimizes sin. The world scoffs at God's judgment and dismisses it. But don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the ways and the devices and the thinking and the reasoning of the world in which we live in. It is a world that has been darkened by sin and sin has consequences. Sin has wages that will be paid, that will be given to mankind. Today's lesson is not going to be an uplifting, good-feeling lesson, as you probably can tell already. But I want us to focus on the idea of the terrible wages of sin. And when you think about what the scriptures or the Lord himself teaches on this subject, the terrible wage of sin, it should strike fear. It should strike fear in all of us. Not just reverence, but fear. For it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God and not be right with him. Sin is everything that violates God's will. Everything that violates God's will is sin. In a couple of verses that kind of give us some broad definitions of what sin is says in in 1 John, John's first epistle, there in the 3rd chapter it says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Why? Because sin is lawlessness. Sin is the violation of law. Is the violation of God's law. James also talks about sin, but addresses it from a, a different viewpoint, from a different angle, when it's therefore to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it. To him it is sin. So I can sin by doing the wrong thing and I can sin by not doing the right thing. Disobedience or transgression of God's word is sin. And we can sin by, you know, in a number of different ways by violating the, these principles, violating God's will, violating God's word in, in a number of different examples. For example, we can sin with our thoughts And we can sin with our motives. We can sin with our words, our eyes, and our ears. We can sin with our actions, our examples, our priorities, and even our worship. Sin is everything that violates God's will. Sin is everything, everything that opposes the, create, the Creator's will for you who is made in the image of God. But why should the wage of sin be so terrifying to us all? Why is that the case? Well, this morning I want us to consider what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit say. How the God had described the outpouring of God's wrath against children of disobedience. So, we're gonna look at a number of passages and basically allow those passages to speak for themselves. As God, through His Son, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, speaks to you and me today in the Holy Scriptures. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. To neglect to adhere, to, to neglect to keep the heavenly will of the Father, to neglect to do what God has said, is to be guilty of being a breaker of divine law. These verses, these words are found near the end of what is described as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5-7. through 7. And Jesus is still speaking there in the 21st verse when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness in these words Jesus is is admonishing people who would claim an allegiance to him now he's not just talking about you know the worst kind of society he's talking about people here who would claim to have an allegiance to him as lord and Eve to do great things in the name of Jesus, do great deeds in the name of Jesus, but they missed the mark. They did not do the Father's will. They sinned by failing to do God's will, implying that they elevated their own will in some way. How how they elevated their own will, we're not told. But we're told they didn't do what God willed. They didn't do what God revealed to be his will. And so what is the wage for this sin? The wage for this sin is the very word Jesus will say himself to you. He says, I never knew you, depart from me. The thought of that ever being said to you and me should terrify us. To think that the Lord would say, I don't know you, leave. That should scare you. To feel the soberness of being cast out and the God who knows the hearts of every man at this point In your eternity, he says, I don't know you. Get out of my sight. Such a statement and such an admonishment by the Lord himself, what should it do to us today? It should strike soberness in our hearts and produce the determination to bear the fruits of repentance. The idea to have this said to you, is the saddest day that you would ever experience. Remaining in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 13, we are told that lawlessness and wickedness are not overlooked, but they will be judged severely. There are a number of parables recorded in this particular chapter. And I want to focus on two Yeah. You know, very quickly here and see what it says to us about the terrifying wages of sin. In verse 37, you know, Jesus is explaining the parable of the tares. And he said, to, he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil." And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks. And those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire, in that place there will be weeping in gnashing of teeth. Then you have the parable of the dragnet. In verse 47, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, and the bad they threw away. So it will be. At the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These two parables of Jesus Christ are revealing to us the truth concerning the coming judgment of God upon the world. And what we see here is that both the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the devil are all held accountable. Everybody is accountable to God. And everybody is going to be judged. But then we are specifically told that all stumbling blocks, all lawlessness, and all wickedness are going to be thrown into a place that is described as a furnace of fire. And there is weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. This is real stuff, my friends. This is real. And Jesus himself is warning us, Jesus is admoning us because Jesus does not want us to bear the consequences of our sinfulness. Jesus came to provide the remedy, the solution but if we don't follow Jesus, if we don't believe and obey Jesus, then what is our end? Well, all lawless and wickedness be thrown into a place called a furnace of fire? Let's look at one more text in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. Where you have the idea of someone who fails to be clothed properly for the king's son's marriage is unacceptable. And so the parable is that, uh, as Jesus says, there is a king who gives this great marriage feast because his son is getting married. And it describes there, he invites all these people in to, 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 to share in that feast. And there are those who refuse to come, and so they send out more invitations, and they gather from more from the highways and so that the feast could be filled. But I'm going to pick up the reading there at verse 11 now. So everyone who is, you know, has come has arrived. They're all there, you know, waiting for the feast to begin. It says, But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him in, into the outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. The parable of this king's Wedding feast, marriage feast for his son teaches us, first of all, that God calls and God invites all to come. He invites everyone to come to his feast and to feast with him. But at the same time, the king's expectations must be met, though. Everybody's invited, but there are some expectations that you have to fulfill, there are some conditions that you have to meet. In the parable, it was this idea that all attendees have to put on the proper wedding clothes, whatever that was. But they had to dress appropriately for the marriage feast. Sinners who believed must clothe themselves with Christ through baptism. In Galatians 3.27, 27, Don't you know all who have been baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ? So when do we clothe ourselves with Christ? When do we put on Christ? It's when we, by faith, obey the Lord's command in baptism. That's when we're clothed with Christ. Over in Titus 2, verse 10, it talks about how saints or Christians are encouraged, exhorted to adorn themselves with the doctrine or the gospel of the Savior. Romans 13, 14 says, put on Jesus and give no place for fleshly lust. The parable teaches that all are invited, but you must be dressed appropriately. You must be clothed correctly. And what we're taught here in this parable found in Matthew 22 is that the one who was improperly dressed was bound and cast into outer darkness. Into outer darkness. This darkness that he is describing here is not like any physical, any mental, or any emotional darkness you have ever experienced in your life. An or nor will ever experience in this life on earth. It is is a darkness like none other. We were created for light. And we have been called to be sons of light. But for those who do not appropriately and properly clothe themselves as Christ teaches and Christ commands, they will be cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth let's turn to one of paul's letters in second thessalonians second thessalonians chapter 1 by the holy spirit paul writes to the saints in thessalonica and he reminds them that there will be divine retribution And that divine retribution particularly will be poured out upon and against all those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. In verse 6 of the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians, let us read. For after all, it it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So the saints in the first century there in the city of Thessalonica, were already undergoing affliction and persecution for the faith, for Christ. And so they are being built up knowing that God is just and God will bring recompense. And so he says, after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When... The Lord Jesus will be revealed. So it's not like you're going to get relief and justice always in this lifetime. But you will in the end. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty the penalty of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified with his saints on that day. Knowing God and obeying Jesus is eternally important. It is eternally necessary It is eternally required if you desire to be glorified with the Lord will all those who are his sanctified ones. Faith must take action. And faith must take the right actions in accord with what God reveals. The outpouring of God's justice here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 this outpouring is going to execute an eternal penalty upon the guilty. It's an eternal penalty. When he says there, verse nine, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. And what is, the, what is that ruinous state? What is the destruction that's being talked about? It is the state of being forever separated from your Lord. To forever be separated from God's presence and from the power of God's glory. There are no second chances after this life. There is no purgatory. And there is no end to the suffering of this penalty. The wages of sin are terrifying, my friends. They are terrifying. And God intends for each and every one of us to realize the seriousness of sin. And what sin brings upon us when we refuse the gift that God offers us. You reject that gift? and you leave that, this world without Christ in your life, the wages of sin is death. It's a death of darkness. It's a death of a fiery furnace. It is a death of outer darkness. It is a death of being forever eternally separated from God's presence and God's glorious power. Let's end with one more verse as we end with the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where John the apostle, as he's bringing this final message from God, the very last book of the New Testament, the last communication through God's servants to mankind, he warns us in verse eight with these words. But for the cowardly and unbelieving And abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We cannot afford to continue to practice sin. We can't afford to do that. It's a risk that you cannot take. We cannot afford to keep making excuses for the sins we have committed or the sins that we are practicing. To deceive ourselves and think that God will not know, that God will not do what he said, is to lie to yourself. Hell is real. Hell is real. It is a place that God has prepared for sinners And it is a terrifying place for those who have not been cleansed by the blood of Christ, who have not been reconciled by God's redemptive plan. Christians are urged in 1 Corinthians. I want to end with this passage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Christians are urged, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Why do you think? The Spirit says that time and time again. First Corinthians chapter 6 is not the only place that we are told don't be deceived. There are a number of times throughout the writings of the New Testament, throughout the epistles, the letters to Christians that Christians are don't be deceived. Why do you think we're told that? It's because we are sometimes. We are sometimes deceived. Any one of us can be easily deceived by the entrapment and the entanglement of our own sins. And so, by the Spirit, Paul urges and exhorts and rebukes saints in the city of Corinth. In chapter 6, when he says, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's talking to Christians here. He's talking to people who have called upon the name of the Lord... They have turned from the world and turned to the living God, and they have immersed themselves in Christ and are walking in the light. And he says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by unrighteousness. And then begins to, and then begins to list a number of sins, a number of sins that can deceive us when he says, Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. A person is not going to heaven if he's living unrighteously. You're not going to heaven if you're living unrighteously. Now, sin is a universal problem. Sin is a universal problem. There's not a single accountable person in this room that has not sinned. It's a universal problem. But the gospel of Christ, the message of salvation through Jesus, it's the universal solution. There is no other name by which we can be saved but Jesus Christ. His gospel is the power to save us. The day is coming when the Son of Man will come in his glory. And he will sit on his glorious throne with his angels. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate. He will do some separating, some judging Like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He said, The Lord is going to do this one day. Are you ready? Jesus also said, Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. There's not a single sinner that doesn't need repentance, there's not a single sinner that doesn't need to bear the fruits of repentance. And Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What does that mean? That means... The terrifying waves of sin will be poured out upon you. That's what that means, to perish. And so Jesus calls you today. To come to Him. To submit your will to Him. To call upon His name in obedience to the gospel of Christ. Mark 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. You cannot be saved without faith. You cannot be saved without baptism. You cannot be saved without repentance. You cannot be saved without confession. All of it is the teaching of Christ. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God? If you do, do not delay in obeying Jesus. You're not promised tomorrow. And when the Lord comes, a judgment will take place. And those who have not done the Father's will, those who have committed wickedness and lawlessness, those who have not properly clothed themselves with Christ, those who do not know God and have not obeyed the gospel, they will perish And they will suffer the terrifying wages of sin. Jesus tells us this because it's the truth. And Jesus tells us this because He wants you to be saved. He wants me to be saved. Do you believe? Why not today? Confess that faith with your mouth unashamedly. That you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. And with that confession, repent of your sins. The sins you've committed, turn from that. And be buried with Jesus Christ in the watery grave of baptism. And God will forgive you. God is faithful. God does not lie. It is through baptism that we cleanse ourselves through Christ in our forgiveness. If you are a Christian... And maybe there is sin in your life that you have not repented of. You have not confessed to your Father. And you need to make a change in your life. If we can assist you in that turning back to God. Turning your life back to the way of Christ. To His will and not the will of Him. We encourage you to come forward make your wishes known. While we stand and sing the song of the